Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building and we have an NCAA tournament bracket. I'm excited for March Madness. Adam Spinella is excited for March Madness. So we're going to break it all down. What do you need to know? What teams do you need to watch? What NBA draft prospects do you need to watch? All of the most fun matchups in the first round. We'll probably run through a bracket near the end of this and just kind of dive in and just go from there. I mean, let's just start here, Adam. Did anything within this bracket take you by surprise? Well, Sam, hello. Thank you for having me on. This is my first NCAA tournament and bracket reveal live reaction show. I'm thrilled for it. Like this is <laughs> my favorite night of the year, bar none, dating back to my childhood. I'm that nerd that always sits there and tries to figure out who's going to be in the tournament and who's not and fills out a mock bracket before they're even released. And because of that, I've started to study a little bit more about what the committee does. And mm-hmm. there's one particular a mission from this field that really rubs me the wrong way. And that's the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, Uh, a really good team, top 40 in net rating the entire year. I think their worst loss was a game on a neutral site against Temple where they lost by six and then two to Seton Hall at home, a two point loss there. I don't know if they lost another non-conference game the rest of the way. And for them to play in the big 10 and have wins over Purdue and Indiana and so many other teams the way that they did and then see them be leapfrogged by Arizona state who lost at Texas Southern, the last team to make it into the field this year and lost, get this by 37 to San Francisco end up getting an at large berth over Rutgers really just kind of irks me. The Everything about Rutgers resume looked better and they're, they're a really good team. They were going to be a frustrating opponent for somebody in March that I was super looking forward to seeing how they matched up. Like I'm disappointed on a number of levels for the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, look, I, I think the Rutgers probably should be in between the talent that they have, like Cliff Omarugi, Cam Spencer, Caleb McConnell, Paul Mulcahy. This is a really good team. I will say they played substantially worse once uh, Mawat Mag. They're like six foot seven kind of swing man went out. He missed. I want to say it was like their last 10 games. And if you look at those last 10 games, I think that they lost. Uh, I think they lost like seven of them or so. This was kind of a different team late in the season. It seems like they played themselves out of the tournament as much as anything. I was still surprised not to see them in. This is a very dangerous defense. This is a legitimately great defensive basketball team with or without Mawat Mag, uh, between Cliff Omaruyi, between Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, Caleb O'Connell, uh, or Caleb McConnell. This is just a really, really good group that I am very surprised did not make the field. But look, here's the other thing about this, man. Like, I don't know how good any of these teams are that missed the field. <laughs> like, no. 
I can't like Pitt made this tournament and Arizona State made the tournament and like Mississippi State can't offense and they made the tournament. Like I, I just all due respect to those groups, but I, I think that if you miss the NCAA tournament this year, you have no excuses. Like Clemson, Clemson has a pretty solid roster between PJ Hall and Hunter Tyson that I like. I just can't sit here and go, oh my God, they missed the tournament. How is how big of a travesty? It's like, well, these teams aren't very good. If we're th- this is a year where the talent across college basketball is down. There's no excuse if you miss the NCAA tournament this year, in my opinion. All due respect to all of those coaches involved. I'm sure they're all very disappointed. The thing that surprised me most was Houston being the yeah. second overall seed. This is a situation where you don't really know what's happening with Marcus Sasser. He missed the game today and Memphis uh, kind of blew the doors off of them in the AAC tournament final. And just frankly, Kansas has a better resume. Kansas has been a better team for a large swath of this season, especially in the back half of this season. I really like Houston. I think if Marcus Sasser is healthy, I think Houston has a very real case to cut down the nets uh, in uh, I guess it's in Houston. That's where I have to go in a couple of weeks. But I, I was just surprised. I mean, Kansas, I think, had like 18 quad one wins. It was absurd. K- Kansas Kansas did an insane amount this season and should have been respected by the committee, I thought, with that ability to have a pathway through Kansas City. Yeah, and look, it, it, it can't be about losing conference championship game because, you know, we saw the results from both of them over the last 48 hours. We also know that the response from the committee about their rationale for putting Houston above Kansas kind of left a lot of people scratching their heads as to why that was. Uh, the, do you have it up? Thing. I've watched a lot of these. I, I haven't, but I've watched a lot of those interviews when I covered college basketball a little bit more fully, like more like in the weeds of college basketball than I do now, right? You can't take anything these people say after this seriously. They're just going to like find little ways into reasoning that makes a case. And, you know, there's so many different arguments happening in that. Uh, room during the selection process and during the seeding process that I, I just I don't really care what the ex- explanation is. I'm yeah. not going to lie to you. Yeah, I mean, saying that they're more competitive in their losses, like I, that's not really yeah, I a mean, criteria. Sorry. Like, a, sure, like whatever you want to say, man. It's whatever. Yeah, it's just like we we see these things all the time where. They make these absurd arguments. It's just, here's the thing. All these teams are very close. You can make whatever argument you want to make to try and make whatever case you want to make, right? And while I agree with some of them, I disagree with some of them. We're about to play a tournament to find out who the winner is going to be. And I I just like, as long as you get in or out of the field, it's hard for me to like really be up in arms about any of this at the end of the day. Okay. Okay. Let's dive in. The way we're going to do this, we're going to go region by region, bracket by bracket, and we're just going to break it down. We're going to talk about the matchups we're excited about, the teams we're excited about, uh, the players we're excited to watch, some of the things that we see maybe in the scouting, some of the things that we see maybe in uh, just our overall thought process about what these games could look like from a coaching perspective, from whatever we're looking at, whatever interests us. We're going to go Top left region, if you're looking at a bracket, bottom left. Top right, 
bottom right. So we're going to start here with the South region where Alabama is the number one seed. They're going to take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi or Southeast Missouri State. I mean, look, Alabama, I think, looks like the best team in the NCAA tournament right now. It's not to say they're going to win the NCAA tournament because you have to win six in a row. But this is the hottest team, I think, coming into the tournament. Yeah, and they play a style of basketball that allows them to you know, impose their will against any type of opponent. They really space the floor incredibly well, and they shoot it. They can beat you at the rim now that Brandon Miller is essentially a 6'9 point guard and being able to navigate the lane, get to the rim, and finish. Uh, I think the X factor for Alabama continuing to go deep is going to be a guy like, like Noah Clowney. Uh, you know, if if he can space the floor and knock down shots effectively, then they're going to be a really, really tough team to beat because they they are underrated on the defensive end of the floor. So many times with Alabama, we want to talk about Brandon Miller and their their guard play mm-hmm. with the experience of guys like Quinterly or Sears. Like this is a very good defensive unit as well. And if you look at that entire region there in the South, I don't think that there are a ton of dynamic offenses that are going to really push them on that end of the floor, particularly in the top half of the bracket until they'd get to the elite eight. I frankly agree with you. I don't know that Maryland or West Virginia have the firepower. West Virginia gets talked about as if they are some like defensive juggernaut, like we've seen in the past from West Virginia teams. And they're just like, not that Uh, they're more of like an offensively inclined team that, uh, is pretty efficient. Like they have a top 20 offense in the entire country. They were top four in the big 12 in offense. I, I just don't think they have the firepower to keep right. up with what Alabama is going to present to them. And I don't think they're going to be able to stop Alabama. The question is, what do they look like against Maryland? I mean, Maryland, I don't know when you watch Maryland, I feel like they're a little bit of like a nondescript team <laughs> this year because they, they don't really have like Willard's guys there yet. You know what I mean? Like he inherited this roster outside of Jameer Young. Jameer Young's a really good player, really high level scorer, has become a very good decision maker over the course of his career between Maryland and Charlotte. But like Dante Scott hasn't really taken that next step forward. Akeem Hart and Julian Reese are like an interesting front court. I don't know. Like this is, it's going to be a good game, but it's not one that I'm like looking forward to on the eight, nine line necessarily. Yeah. I I think it's a good game because it's a little bit more of a contrast of styles in some way. West Virginia leaning in more to offense this year. They will shoot a ton of threes and early clock threes, which is not what you think of when you think of Bob Huggins, but it's kind of who they've evolved into being Maryland on the other end. Like Kevin Willard's a fantastic defensive coach. And they can come in and shut teams down a little bit, really play them tough and aggressively. They just go through spurts where they cannot score the basketball. And that has been consistent throughout the season where they'll be a really good team for 25, 30 minutes of a game. And then they just can't, you know, can't find water from a boat for the other 10. So that's going to be a unique matchup. I agree with you, though. I just I don't see West Virginia having enough offensive firepower in the way they'd match up with Alabama to be able to pull off that upset there. Like this is a, in in my opinion, a very secure path to the sweet 16 for the Crimson Tide. And then this next five, 12 matchup is going to be San Diego state and Charleston. I see like people are talking about Charleston as if this is like going to be a super popular upset pick. Maybe I guess, but San Diego state is like a killer, killer defensive team that I feel like Charleston is probably going to struggle with. Like 
Charleston likes to play up tempo. They like to get up and down the court. And like, I feel like San Diego State's just going to drag them into the mud and like clog it down. And between those guards who are really good, Lamont Butler, Matt Bradley, they're going to be able to dictate the tempo of this game. They're going to be able to slow it down. Basically elite, like high level guards that are older players. It's easier to play slow than it is to play fast. I feel like those slow teams tend to be able to dictate games. I I see this as a hard matchup for Charleston. Don't you? Totally agree. They love to push tempo. That's one of the 30 fastest teams in the country with the way that Pat Kelsey wants to play there. I just don't think they have a physical answer for a guy like Matt Bradley or San Diego State either. Like he's like a guard wing physical, just mismatched guy, turned himself into a good shooter. Like that's going to be a tough matchup just on the defensive end of the floor for Charleston. And if San Diego State can control tempo and continue to pound the ball inside a little bit, they're going to have some success. Yeah, and you know, Charleston likes to fire from three, but this is not a Charleston team that like shoots wildly well from three. They shoot 33% from three. They just take a ton of them. Because of that, though, they tend to open up the court and space the court out. Here's the thing, though, with San Diego State, they have Nathan Mensa, who is just this absolutely terrific six foot ten center, one of the best defensive players in the country. They're going to be able to shut down the paint, I think, at a pretty real level. They're going to throw Lamont Butler on Ryan Larson, who is Charleston's point guard. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really, really hard for Charleston to be able to get any sort of penetration against San Diego State. Yeah. And I think it's going to be hard for them to actually create threes that way. Now, look, San Diego State goes through like real offensive droughts that mm-hmm. could be a real problem for them throughout this game. I just think that they're going to be able to score much easier than Charleston is going to be able to score. Yeah. Yeah, and and look, Charleston, they shoot a lot, but they also get a ton of offensive rebounds. And and for me, that's where San Diego State, being as physical, as disciplined, and as experienced as they are, they'll do a good job on the glass and try to limit those second-chance points for the Cougars. Uh, Not trying to say that this is uh, a team that can't win a first-round matchup, but there's not a lot about what I see in Charleston that leads me to believe that they're a trendy Sweet 16 Cinderella or sleeper pick here. Like I, I very much like San Diego State. I thought five might have been a little bit high of a seed based on the resume that they put together, but no qualms about who they are as a team and, and their ability to just be very, very solid, particularly on the defensive end. Yeah, and th- this next matchup is actually the one that I like <laughs> from a upset perspective. Yeah. Furman is really good, and Virginia has not played well really for quite a while now. Plus, they lose Ben Vanderplot, who is a really, really important part of their offense from a floor spacing perspective, from a ball movement perspective. I mean, I struggle to see why this isn't the popular upset pick as opposed to the 12-5 Charleston uh, versus San Diego State matchup. Totally agree with you. And we can talk about Furman in a second here because I love those guys. But without Ben Vanderplaat in the the lineup there for Virginia, their offense is going to struggle. And I think we saw that in the ACC championship game against Duke. Uh, Not necessarily just because Virginia's offense is is weak without him. Give the Blue Devils credit. They're long, they're athletic, and they defended them very well. But their guards aren't going to be one-on-one separators. That's not the motion offense that they kind of play. And they're kind of inexperienced in the front court besides that. 
that's something yeah. that, that I, I worry about a little bit with the Cavaliers moving forward because as you match up with Furman, this is a small ball, stretch you out kind of team with Jalen Slauson, who is a, a legitimate NBA draft prospect that can do so yeah. many different things on the offensive end of the floor, create from the perimeter as a passer. He's starting to shoot it and pick and pops this year. Really physical driver, loves dribble handoff keepers and can get downhill in a hurry. Like these freshmen, sophomores, inexperienced bigs for Virginia might have a little bit of trouble just really accounting for Slauson and all the ways he can impact a game. Yeah, so that's going to have to be a matchup for Jaden Gardner, yep. who is their big six foot six, like 240 pound, uh, mismatch nightmare power forward kind of guy. And I think Slauson is just way more athletic than he is. The two guys to watch here are Jalen Slauson and Mike Bothwell. I would imagine we see a lot of Reese Beekman on Mike Bothwell. And that's going to be the critical matchup of this game. Whoever gets free between those two players, I think is going to be able to dictate yeah. who is capable of winning this game. They also have JP Pegues against Kia Clark, the longtime five foot nine point guard for Virginia. I think who's finally done after this season, right? This know, is his last year. He started there when I was in junior high. So it's probably about time. Right. So the guy to watch on Furman is Jalen Slauson. Just a terrific player was the SoCon player of the year this year. Uh, like spin said, six foot seven, real intelligent, high-level distributor, athlete in the front court, can get up and down the court. I will say, just from like a schematic perspective, I do think this is like a somewhat positive matchup in terms of like X's and O's that Furman is going to run and in terms of speed of play and in terms of everything. Like, I think Virginia probably isn't like terribly worried about this matchup. I just think Furman like is just as talented as they are at the end of the day. Yeah, the, I mean it's it's such a fascinating matchup because Virginia's best individual defenders, guys like Clark Beekman and Gardner, match up so well just positionally against who Furman puts on the floor. I think we're going to see Virginia go smaller in this game. I think we'll see a lot of Dunn playing at the five and, and front courts with him and Gardner, which the Cavaliers experimented with in the ACC championship game. I will say I have really liked Gardner as an individual defender a year ago. I thought he did the best job in the country of anybody at guarding Paolo Bancaro one-on-one. Just a very yeah. different style of player that Jalen Slauson is. Less isolation, much more quick decision-making, and really ball movement creation for others as opposed, as opposed to what Bancaro does. Uh, one quick statistical tidbit here. Furman, the most efficient two-point shooting team in the country really good around the basket, even though they play a little bit smaller. How does that go against the Cavaliers always stout defense who lead the country in shot clock violations forced? This could be a really low tempo, slow scoring bloodbath of a game, but Furman is talented enough to absolutely win this one. And then I think even go a little bit further because they would match up really well with San Diego state. Yeah. Yeah. They would match up really well with San Diego state. Okay, let's go to this next little spot here. I'm going to start reading out betting lines as well. It looks like BetMGM, the sportsbook partner of The Athletic, has betting lines up. West Virginia minus one and a half against Maryland. San Diego State minus four and a half against Charleston. Virginia minus five and a half against Furman. Okay, the next matchup here for us, if we're just going down this list, is Creighton-NC State. The thing that immediately popped to me within this matchup is this has 
one of the more fun NBA draft centric matchups of the first round where we're almost certainly going to get Terquavion Smith being guarded by Trey Alexander, who is a terrific on-ball defender at Creighton. And Terquavion is a guy that has had some real inefficiency issues throughout the course of the season. So when you see this matchup, NC State against Creighton, where it looks like NC State is... I actually don't have a line for that yet. It looks like... Let's see if I can just hit... No, it's Creighton minus four and a half, so I do have a line for that. What stands out about this matchup? So obviously Terquavion being the juice a little bit for NC State and him and Jarkel Joyner, a super fun backcourt. They combine for about 34 and a half points a game. Really, really dangerous team because they can just get hot from three in a hurry. Uh, the way that Joyner and Terquavion create their own shot, you have to guard them from about 30 feet out. And, and that changes the dynamic of a defense. I think Creighton is capable of doing that because they have Ryan Kalkbrenner on the back line. Trey Alexander can put in it, uh, as much pressure as he wants on the perimeter for a guy like Turquavion. But at the end of the day, too, like the Wolfpack can just beat you from three. We saw it in the ACC tournament. If those two guys just get hot and hit isolation jumper after isolation jumper or get a half step into the lane and try to find a kick, they'll be really, really solid at just knocking down shot after shot after shot. And Look, NC State's a little bit undersized. You know, DJ Burns is an energy big man. I'd like to see if he can crash the glass against Kalkbrenner there. But uh, it'll be fascinating to see if Creighton has to force their big man to come out and guard in space at all, or if he can just sit back, protect the basket, and dare the Wolfpack to make enough jump shots to beat them. I think you're muted there, Sam. I think we lost you. Uh, we did. Creighton we did. is the more talented team there. Yeah. Yes. I, I think there's just like no question about that. It's just that Creighton has been weirdly inconsistent at points throughout this year. They had that strange stretch where they lost six in a row and then they win three in a row. They lose two in a row. Then they win like eight in a row and then they lose three of the next four. And if we get that Creighton team that is hot, this is a dangerous team. I think a lot of people were excited about Villanova potentially beating them in the Big East tournament. And then they just like had no real issues with Villanova. And then they went out and got the doors blown off of them by Xavier in the Big East semifinals. So like the, it's impossible to know which Creighton team is going to show up night after night. The thing here is that Greg McDermott is a very good coach. If you give him time to prepare this is a good defense led by Ryan Kalkbrenner. Offensively, I think that they can get enough out of the floor spacing that they're going to derive from Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, Ryan Nemhard, all of the different guys on that roster. You're going to have Arthur Kaluma hopefully be able to be something of a real mismatch nightmare in that game against NC State, who, if memory serves, I know that, uh, I know that, like, Greg. Gant like got hurt in that game against Virginia Tech and that's like a guy that theoretically could match up against him it's probably going to end up being even more of Jack Clark Jack against Clark. Kaluma I it, it's hard yeah. it, this is yeah. a this is an all backcourt matchup and then you have that weird DJ Burns who's like a big thick like 280 pound center in the post against Ryan Kalkbrenner who is 
you know, seven foot tall and 240 pounds, it looks like, and just very skinny. This is a weird matchup. This is a very fun game. This is going to be one of the most fun games of the first yeah. round, in my opinion. Yeah. Jack Clark, if I can give you one piece of advice, buddy, stay down on the Arthur Kaluma pump fake. We've talked about it all <laughs> year. Like, it's the one move that he has. Just don't bite on it. Try to make him a jump shooter. Like, Creighton's offense has always been very balanced. And I do appreciate that about them, particularly when it comes to NCAA tournament time, because it's harder to key in on one guy to try and take away. But this is a Blue Jays team that does not have a ton of depth, where if one of their guards gets in foul trouble, I think that their offense is going to stall out a little bit. And as I'm looking forward, I, I don't want to presume that Creighton is going to be a lock to beat NC State. Certainly don't believe that to be the case. No. i got to wrestle with this one a lot longer. But this is a, a kind of a pod that's open a little bit in my eyes. Like I'm not blown away by what Baylor has done right now. And if you're yeah. Creighton, you've got to be licking your chops and saying, if we can just get through this first matchup, we've got all of the pieces athletically experience wise to be able to throw at a Baylor team to make a run at the sweet 16. Well, let's talk a little bit about that Baylor matchup in the yeah. first round. Cause I actually think that's a tough matchup it is. to figure it is. out as well. Baylor against UC Santa Barbara. Uh, that is a Baylor minus 10 and a half line. That line feels a bit big to me. Having said that when Baylor wins games like this, the line can tend to blow out in terms of their winning margin. Here's the thing about UC Santa Barbara. They have an absolutely terrific guard in AJ Mitchell, who is six foot five, who can really pressure the basket. Then they have Andre Kelly, who was an all pack 12 player last year, who transferred down to UC Santa Barbara, who is like this really strong, big post player. And then next to him, they have Miles Norris, who transferred from Oregon down to UC Santa Barbara, has been a starter there for a few years now. Really good six foot ten spacing four man. And then on top of it, you have Josh Pierre Louis, who is a terrific defensive player, athletic, very strong for his size, six foot four. This is a very talented, very difficult matchup for Baylor. I think this is a danger spot for Baylor. I still think Baylor wins this game, but Baylor has enough like little bouts of inefficiency with Keontae George running the offense to where I do think this is more of a danger spot than what people would think. Yeah, look, Baylor's lost four of their last six, including back-to-back ones to Iowa State here. They're not coming in incredibly hot into the tournament, but they have experience, uh, championship-level experience, and they have really good guard play. Those are things I tend to fall back on, on in March as being difference makers, particularly in late games. I love Adam Flagler. LJ Cryer can shoot the lights out. Keontae George is capable of getting hot and stretches like we haven't seen before. But, man, like, it's hard to trust this Baylor team right now. And I can't really put my finger onto why. But oh, I, I can I can absolutely put my finger on why they what can't defend got? anybody <laughs> like their defense, uh, according to Ken Palm, in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency is 104th in the country. They have the second best offense in the country. Right. They just can't stop anybody. And that even includes like Iowa State, who went for God knows how many points per possession against them in back to back games, essentially, where they gave up. 78 points in 62 possessions against an Iowa State team without Caleb Grill, Grill, who they gave up 1.26 points per possession to a team that is like 95th in offensive efficiency right now. They can't defend anybody. 
it's a real concern for Baylor. They're trying to outscore teams every single night, and they're just very reliant on three-point shots. In the uh, Big 12 tournament, they went 14 of 29 from three, Baylor, and they still got absolutely smoked in that game, it felt like, especially in the last 10 minutes. Like, they were... they. Well, you have to try and outscore teams. They just might not be good enough defensively to do it consistently. Well, and I think that's what it is for me. We know the defense is bad, but offensively, what I couldn't really put my finger on, I'm going to try to right now, is as efficient of a machine as they are, it is very self-creation, three-point reliant. And those teams can go cold in a hurry, particularly in the second game in three days. That's what always worries about worries me in the NCAA tournament is – Hey, you can get through the first round on Thursday or Friday, but on Saturday or Sunday when your legs aren't the strongest, when it's a quick scouting report, when other teams can pick up the intensity and pressure with all those marbles on the line, how do you create quick buckets? How do you reliably get stops? I don't think Baylor checks either of those boxes right now enough for me to trust them to go really deep in this bracket. Yeah, I agree. I think that they probably beat UC Santa Barbara, but if you wanted to pick this as like a stunner upset, I wouldn't hate it. Again, like I, I don't think Santa Barbara really also has a chance to stop them. Like Santa Barbara's defense is not very good. But this is a this is a dangerous matchup, I think, for Baylor, yeah. insofar as I just think almost any matchup for Baylor is a little bit dangerous <laughs> right. every single time out. Uh okay. Next matchup in this region Missouri versus Utah State this is going to be just an absolute up and down fire fest of offense again much like that last game how do you feel about Utah State and Missouri uh, so I'm gonna kind of I was having Missouri penciled in coming into the bracket reveal tonight as a, a sleeper elite eight team I felt okay. really, I felt really good about Missouri. They're a unique matchup. They can switch everything at times on defense. Kobe Brown is a stud. They've got experience across the place, and they can shoot the ball really well. I really believe in Dennis Gates. Like I was all in on Missouri, and then we saw the draw. And Ryan Odom can coach his ass off. And Utah State is one of the most underrated teams in the country. Like this first matchup really worries me for Missouri. That's a tough 7-10. But if they can get past it, I feel really comfortable with them as an Elite Eight team. Like that's going to be my put all the eggs in one basket kind of group right now. Yeah, so Missouri is actually an underdog in this matchup. Utah State is minus 1.5. And I think that does speak to how dangerous Utah State is. Like you said, Ryan Odom is an absolutely tremendous coach. He's an absolutely tremendous coach. He is the coach that spearheaded the UMBC upset of Virginia in the 16-1 matchup a few years back. It's a team that has a lot of shooting. You're looking at guys like Taylor Funk, who is a six foot nine floor spacer who shot 209 threes this season. Steven Ashworth, uh, their six foot one guard who kind of runs the show. He shot 44% from three on 240 attempts this season. Max Shulga, Sean Bairstow. This is just a really, really high level shooting group that does make it hard for opposing defenses. Because when you have that kind of shooting, obviously you're able to space the court out. In Missouri, I feel like hasn't really faced a ton of those teams that can really space them out. 
Missouri's a very bad defensive team as well. Yeah, yes. That's the big issue here. Like Missouri really, really struggles. And it is a bit of a surprise. Like, you know, Kobe Brown, I think, moves pretty well defensively. Demoy Hodge is a really, really good defender at the guard position. It's just that the rest of these guys, they they do struggle to move and they struggle to be able to stick in front of their man consistently. And then they give up a ton of transition points, it feels like, on the other end. Well, they struggle a lot, when, you know, particularly when I watch them go through these decisions. Are they going to switch everything? Are they not going to switch? I don't think they're the greatest communicating team in knowing when to switch on ball or off ball. And that leads to a lot of either mismatches or at times just complete breakdowns that leave the rim wide open. And Missouri struggles yep. in, in that regard there. Utah State is going to take advantage of that. They're going to be well-prepared. They're going to be game-planned for how Missouri wants to defend, and they're going to spread everybody out. Like This is a unique, uniquely international flavor to the Aggies roster. I really like what Ryan Odom has built there, particularly in a short amount of time. You mentioned Funk coming over in the transfer portal this year. Awesome addition for them. Like They're a dangerous offensive team that can keep up with Missouri, but also exploit Missouri's lack of defensive attention to detail. Uh, I like the Tigers still. Like I, I'm gonna gonna ride with them, and, and it speaks to kind of my belief in Kobe Brown, in Dennis Gates, and looking at the rest of this bottom half of the region. Uh, but man, like this first round matchup really scares me. Yeah, and the other part of this that I think should make Missouri fans a little bit heartened is that one of the things they really, really struggled with this year was defensive rebounding. Utah state doesn't really crash the offensive glass like that. Like this is not a team that's going to like just hammer it and go for it all the time. I will say that they did do it a little bit more late in the season, which could create some problems for Missouri. Uh, Dan Aiken, who is their like six foot nine, like athletic kind of mover, who was originally UMBC, then went to Cal Baptist last year, and then uh, finished this season at Utah State. He is a guy that can crash the glass in like a pretty substantial way. They also have this big, like seven foot one kid who I don't, I don't remember what what's his name. His name's like Dorius, Dor- Doris, yeah, or Trevin something like Dorius, that. yeah. Yeah, he he really, really is just like an enormous dude, and he's the one that Missouri is going to have to get a body on. If they can get a body on him, I think that Missouri can win this game. If Trevin Dorius ends up with you know, five offensive rebounds and creates extra possessions, that could end up being 10 extra points for Utah State. And I don't think Missouri can actually allow that to happen. Like, I don't think they have 10 points to work with here in this game. Yeah, I, I this is going to be one that I scratch my head over for a long period of time, not just because it's a, a toss-up of a first-round matchup, but because I do believe it's going to have ramifications going deeper in the NCAA tournament, just because, quite frankly, Sam, I don't have a lot of trust in the Arizona Wildcats right now. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Arizona has been... I think a little bit better than what you think throughout the latter part of this season. But it it was, I think, a little bit frustrating to see them struggle last night with UCLA, given how undermanned UCLA was throughout the course of that game. I think it's just a credit to Mick Cronin and how much Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez are willing to fight that they made that game really, really tough for Arizona. But 
I think Arizona shouldn't really have any problems overwhelming Princeton, but I thought that the year they had DeAndre Ayton and they played Buffalo and Buffalo just like sliced them in like a pretty substantial way. So what are, what are your thoughts here? Because you immediately texted me Princeton. You were like, I'm pretty intrigued by this matchup. Yeah. I I like Princeton a lot just for their style of play. Uh, You know, they've got a couple bigger bodies. They rebound the ball incredibly well, which is not something you typically see from a 15 seeded team coming in there, defend the paint at a high level. I think uh, only allowed teams to shoot about 45% and change from two point range. They can stretch you out. They play a true Princeton uh, brand of basketball, but they needed a team that really wasn't going to pound the ball inside on them. Cause while they have two bigger bodies, they're not the biggest in the world. And this Arizona team can have high low after high low after high low, throw the ball inside to, to Tabellus and Ballo and just kind of chip away at them uh, really, really slowly. I think that this is going to be death by a million layups for the Princeton Tigers. And look, Really smart offensive team, experienced group with a lot of upperclassmen. But, yeah, I think Arizona's got this one. Just too much firepower on the interior. And look, like Princeton isn't the way undersized Ivy League team, right? Like they have the – like the Keyshawn Kelman, they have the kid that – he won the Ivy League uh, player of the year, the like a boom one. Tosan, yeah. Yeah, Tosan's his name, yeah. Uh, and he's like the high post playmaker kind of, and then Kelman's like more of their like big rebounder on the interior. But uh, it just feels like when you have two seven-footers like that that can really crash the glass, can really play out on the perimeter like that. The thing that Princeton can do really well that can cause problems here is they can force Umar Balo and Ajolas Tubelis away from the basket. Ajolas Tubelis is probably going to have to be the guy who guards Tucson. Right. And I don't love that matchup for Arizona defensively. I think that's actually a real problem for them in this matchup. My guess is that Umar Balo kind of eats in this game. That's just kind of my theory on what's going to happen here is Umar Balo is going to be like a real problem on the block for Princeton. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if you get to Bellis in space, you get Umar Balo in foul trouble, maybe. You throw Henri Vesar, who is like a freshman in there, who I really love long-term as like a potential high-level player. But you just never know how freshmen react. I think this is like a clear Arizona pick, but maybe like a bit more of a danger spot than the typical 15 is your point. And Arizona is a 14 and a half point favorite here, just to continue with all of this. Yeah, so you know, not necessarily thinking that Arizona is going to drop this first round matchup there, but Tabellus is the guy that I just don't trust right now defensively. I think there's been a lot of lapses that he's had down the stretch run of the season, and you know the the Pac-12 has not been incredibly strong this year. Uh, so I, I think Arizona had I don't want to call it a cakewalk, so to speak, but they weren't tested in the way that they will be beyond the first round of this NCAA tournament in a long period of time. So. Tabellus has to be able to move his feet laterally, particularly if they're going to play him alongside Balo. There are going to be so many teams that can space them out on the offensive end. Just look at the rest of this bracket here, Sam. I mean, Missouri is going to be able to do it because they like to play a little bit smaller. Utah State is going to be able to do it. So either team that they'd face in the round of 32 could give Arizona some trouble. 
Creighton, a really good offensive group because they play four around one. NC State really shoots the crap out of the basketball and plays smaller. And then Baylor, as we talked about, number two offense in the country with a ton of guards who can really light it up. I don't know where Tabellis hides past this first round matchup. And the Wildcats are really going to go as far as his defensive attitude and effort is going to take them. Okay. Let's just do very quick picks here in this region. So you're going to take Alabama to be the 16 seed, right? I am. Yes. Okay. Maryland against West Virginia. He a Terp. I'm going Terps. I I think I'm also going to go Maryland in that game. San Diego State or Charleston? I'm going with the Aztecs. Agree. Virginia Furman. I'll I'll take the Paladins here. Agree. Creighton or NC State? Oh, tough one. I'm going to go Creighton. Agree. Baylor or UC Santa Barbara? Another tough one, but I'm going to give it to Baylor here. I'm also going to give it to Baylor. Missouri or Utah State? Oh, Sam. I'm just going to do Missouri. I'm going to do it. Okay, I disagree. I'm going to say Utah State. Arizona or Princeton? Arizona by eight. Okay, uh, Alabama or Maryland? Roll Tide. San Diego State or Furman? I'll go Furman. Okay, I disagree. I would take San Diego State there. Uh, Creighton or Baylor? I will go Creighton here. I think I agree with you on that. Okay, and then Arizona or Missouri for you? I'm going Missouri. I, again, I would take Utah State here if they win the 7-10 matchup. I would take NC State over Baylor if they win the 6-11 matchup. So that's why I feel much more comfortable kind of ironing these in on my own bracket. Okay. I think I am still going to go. Oh, man. That's actually Utah State against Arizona yeah. is a bit harder it's, than it's what I would think. It's a tough one. Think I am going to go Utah State there. Okay, uh, I really like that Arizona team, though. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Utah State. Okay, Alabama or Furman for you? Yeah, I'll go Bama. Yeah, Alabama for me as well over San Diego State. Yeah. Uh, for you, it would be Creighton against Missouri. Uh, Missouri. Yeah, uh, another tough one here, but I think I think I'll go Missouri. And I think I picked. Creighton over Baylor. I think I would also take Creighton over Utah State in my case. And then Alabama against uh, yeah, Missouri. Missouri for you. Yeah, yeah, Bama. Yeah, going Bama. Okay. And I would also take Alabama to the final four. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that 
it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, let's go to the East. This one is probably the hardest region, in my opinion. Yeah. It's either this or the West. Purdue is going to get to take on Texas Southern or Fairleigh Dickinson. Purdue, led by Zach Eady, the National Player of the Year in college basketball this season. I don't know that we really need to break down a ton here uh, with Fairleigh Dickinson and Texas Southern. This is just going to be Purdue, and you know, I'll, I'll at least give you the line on this. Uh, the or no, I don't have a line because there's uh, it's a right. two, it's a first four matchup. Okay, so Memphis against Florida Atlantic is fascinating. I think that I think Florida Atlantic got done dirty here with yes. this seeding, and of course they did. Like they always do these mid majors dirty, but like what what are we doing here? What are we doing here having Florida Atlantic as a nine seed? I have to pick Memphis here. Memphis is one of the hottest teams in the country. But, like, man, I feel terrible for this Florida Atlantic team. What makes Florida Atlantic such a good team, in your opinion? They're versatile. Uh, their their guard play is really, really good. But they're, they just pound teams. Like, the, their mentality of this group and the, and the way that they – know what buttons to press when, the way that they come out firing. They don't have off days in terms of their competitiveness. They steamrolled through a bunch of teams in Conference USA. Uh, I really like Nikki Boyd that they have there as a, a young up-and-comer to watch in the Conference USA. They're a fun team, Dusty make and really coach. This is just, it's criminal that they would get a nine seed here. A really, really tough draw for them, not just because Memphis is hot, but because they have real experience in the front court with Williams and great guard play with a guy like Kendrick Davis. Yeah. And look, here's the thing with Florida Atlantic. They just come at you in waves, right? Like this is one of the deepest teams in the country. Yes. 
they have John L. Davis, who is like their leading scorer, who like comes off the bench a lot of the time, right? Like Elijah Martin's really good. Nick Boyd is like a really high level shooter that they have. They have Jalen Gaffney from Connecticut, right? Like this is a really, really talented team that gets after you in multiple ways offensively and then really fights you on defense at a really high level. Uh, the thing that I think is probably the biggest mismatch here on paper, at least, is Florida Atlantic's is a terrific rebounding team. Memphis is not a very good defensive rebounding team, particularly. Uh, DeAndre Williams is their best defensive rebounder, followed by Chandler Lawson. But both of those guys are not all that big. And I, I don't really know what to do with this Memphis group necessarily if they go up against a team like Purdue, that's going to be able to just bludgeon them. Like, I, I think that this is a really, really good uh, eight, nine matchup for Purdue fans that are looking for their team to go to the sweet 16. Yeah. So uh, for me, I, I keep coming back to this with Purdue and we've seen it through the big 10 tournament at the end today with Penn state. And then on Friday in their game against Rutgers, they need to figure out how to handle full court pressure that no lead is going to be safe with Purdue because their guards are a little bit inexperienced, not great separators one-on-one. If you can speed them up and pressure them, turn it into more of a a full-court game than a half-court one, you might have a chance. If if it's a half-court game, Zach Eady and the Boilermakers in their pristinely spaced, incredibly deep playbook on offense is going to wear you down. Like There's no way you can keep him off the offensive glass for a full 40 minutes if it's a half-court game. But if you can speed them up, You've got a chance. And and I'm curious to see your thoughts on this. Do you think Memphis or Florida Atlantic with FAU's depth or with Memphis's really gritty defense and the way that Penny Hardaway coaches, just having them be a little bit more reckless on that end, do you think that that could cause Purdue some problems? The thing that I think could cause Purdue some problems is just Kendrick Davis in that game against all of Purdue's guards right? Like Kendrick Davis should be able to get where he wants in that matchup in ball screens. That's the thing that would worry me most if I was Purdue. I just think that Memphis is going to have all sorts of problems defending Purdue on the interior. I I just really, really struggle to find that being successful for Memphis. But in this matchup, Florida Atlantic is really good. Like Florida Atlantic is really, really good with all of the depth that they're going to throw at you. They have a big guy in Vladislav Golden who can really score on the interior. And then on top of it, they can go like super small. They present a lot of different mismatch potential with their alignments. They can go like very small, like their favorite alignment is to go like, you know, they have the older point guard Greenlee. They have Boyd, Elijah Martin, John L. Davis, all of whom are like six foot to six foot four guards, like almost like, you know, old Villanova teams basically under Jay Wright. And, I feel like John L. Davis is the key here. Like John L. Davis is the guy that can be the mismatch problem for Memphis, like in a pretty substantial way. If Memphis can figure out how to guard him with guys like DeAndre Williams and Chandler Lawson, that's going to make their life a little bit easier in this matchup. Yeah, and and Davis can go off at any period of time too. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have it in front of me. I think that he had a a career-high performance against UAB earlier this year in a really important game for them. The Blazers were one of the best teams in Conference USA that went against them, and he had 30-something in that game and just completely went off. So if he can get hot and carry them on the offensive end of the floor, they'll have a ton of firepower anyway. But they're just a mismatch problem because of the, like you said, the amount of lineups, constructions that they can go with. Okay, 
let's go to this next uh, region here. But before we do, Memphis uh, is a minus two and a half favorite against Florida Atlantic. Okay, Duke against Oral Roberts. That's going to be an absolute super fun matchup to watch, if only because Oral Roberts is going to present you with all sorts of difficulties in ball screens. This is like the matchup that is tailor-made for us to learn every single thing that we need to know about Derek Lively in ball screens because Oral Roberts will rim run with Connor Vanover at seven foot three. They'll rim run with their other bigs, or they'll pick and pop with Connor Vanover, who's like seven foot four and can step out and shoot threes. Or they're going to force you into space with Max Aismas, who is their terrific guard, the maestro of this entire offense. As we saw against Ohio State two years ago, unfortunately, he is the kind of guy that can win you an NCAA tournament game. This offense is like full throttle, everything that they could be right now. This offense is running on all cylinders. Duke is absolutely the kind of team that should be able to guard this. But this is a tough matchup for anybody. Oral Roberts is a tough matchup for literally everybody. That's it's a weird game in so many different ways because Duke is huge and Oral Roberts has one big guy and they space the floor really well. And Ace can kind of do whatever he wants with the ball in his hands and is dangerous and consistent. Lively's going to get stretched out. I think that Oral Roberts is going to try to pick and pop him a little bit more and take him away from the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way to beat Oral Roberts is to try to attack Vanover and stretch him out a little bit more on the perimeter. And I worry that Duke playing three bigs is going to give him so many different opportunities to sag off, play near the paint, and try to protect himself and keep him on the floor. That Lively doesn't stretch the floor reliably, and then they've got other guys who are either non-shooters. They're, they're figuring it out offensively. They've been much better over the last month or so. But in one game, when you're relying on on just everybody to step up and make shots, like I think that Duke – or any team that plays Oral Roberts should try to play Vanover off the floor a little bit defensively. And Duke is not tailor-made to be able to do that. It's fascinating. So I agree with you on that. What I will say, though, is I went through and I watched Derek Lively a lot this weekend because I wrote his draft guide profile. And the thing that really impressed me about Lively is that Duke has a lot of different defensive coverages that they're very comfortable with them. Like, using him within right they will play flat at the level they will hard hedge with him they will drop him at times they won't drop him in this game i would imagine but they feel very comfortable playing him in a lot of different alignments the bigger thing for oral roberts here is i have no idea how they stop kyle filipowski i have absolutely no idea how they stop kyle filipowski in this game yeah, and he's been really good lately, like awesome in the ACC championship game against Virginia. I think he had something to prove after being uh, shut out in the first matchup with the Cavaliers. He's going to have to put this team on the back just to get them through cleanly in that first-round matchup. And if they can do that, I, I really actually like this pathway forward for the Blue Devils. Yeah, and you know, even a guy like Dariq Whitehead, if he gets hot from three, which he's been shooting, you know, the lights out, it feels like every single time on the court, uh, played really, really, really well against Miami uh, in their ACC semifinal game. That's a real problem 
for Oral Roberts because you're talking about a team that's going to have to guard him with someone who's like six foot four in all likelihood. Mark Mitchell is another guy that could be a real matchup problem for Oral Roberts in this game as well. They're just going to be able to play big. The other guy that's going to be critical here is Tyrese Proctor. He's going to have a significant size advantage on whoever he is guarded by. It wouldn't surprise me even if they went small at times, like with Filipowski at the five, and then just tried to kind of like invert the offense a little bit where you try and post Tyrese Proctor a little bit at times. I don't know. That that could be that could be an intriguing one to me as well. And we've lost spins here while we're live. I'm sure he'll be back momentarily. Uh, Dariq has also been a little bit better on defense. The Stuke team in general has been much, much better on uh, the defensive side of the court in recent weeks with Derek Lively becoming as impressive as he has been. So I'm just going to be very interested to see what happens uh, throughout the course of this matchup here. Cause I, I think this is, this is one of the most exciting matchups of the first round Duke here for people who want to know minus seven and a half point favorites against oral Roberts. Let's move on to Tennessee against Louisville. I think this is also going to be another popular upset pick as a 13 or as a yeah 13 versus four matchup. Louisiana is very good offensively, very bad defensively. Tennessee is very bad offensively and very good defensively, especially now with Zakai Ziegler out. They have struggled quite a bit to generate super high level offense in the way that you would hope. Uh, Also, I will say their defense has been just a little bit worse recently with Ziegler out. I I mean, this is a group that was one of the best defensive teams throughout the country uh, during the season. Ziegler, I think was wrongly nominated for defensive player of the year in the country. I think he is not their best defensive player. Even I think Julian Phillips is their best defensive player, but I do think he is critical at the point of attack for them in a pretty real way. And, Louisiana, the key for them is going to be Jordan Brown, the former Arizona transfer, former five-star recruit, has become one of the best players at the mid-major level in college basketball. But Tennessee has Euros Plavsic, who is just going to annoy the ever-loving shit out of him. Yeah. And that's just not like a great – that's not a great matchup, I don't think. No, he's a mountain of a man down there. Like I, I, I keep talking about – teams I don't necessarily trust. Like Tennessee is one of them. They lost the head of their snake with Ziggler being out for the year. I love Santiago Vescovi, but I think that he needs somebody to deliver him the ball in a lot of ways. Tennessee's offense can really stall out at times when they don't have Ziggler on the floor, and that worries me. I think that the uh, the Raysian Cajuns can definitely outscore some teams in the way that they like to push tempo. They spread it really well around Jordan Brown, and he can dominate one-on-one on the interior because teams are afraid to double-team him. He's not going to have a, an advantage down low in, in one-on-one situations against the Volunteers. So another tactical chess match that we'll see how it unfolds. Uh, initially really liked Louisiana as a sleeper upset pick but don't know if I love the matchup with Tennessee just with how well they can guard the blocks one-on-one. Don't trust either team. Yeah, I agree. I I think this is actually a tough matchup for Louisiana, and I think a pretty good matchup for Tennessee, if I'm being honest. Uh, I think Tennessee wins this game. I I just do. And they defend the three-point line really well, which is something that Louisiana is going to rely on to, to have success. So if Tennessee can just be their normal self on that end, they'll be fine. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where typically we think of Louisiana as like the super high level, like three point shooting team, because under Bob Marlin, like in the past, they have been and they shoot it well from three. But like this is not a team that shoots a lot of threes. And I feel like Tennessee is going to be able to completely like shut them off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's going to be really, really tough, I think, for Louisiana in this game. OK, the next one is the matchup that I think a lot of people are waiting for. It is Kentucky against Providence. And in my excitement, I've forgotten to tell you what the line is in that Tennessee matchup. Minus 10 and a half for Tennessee. Honestly, I think that's about right. <laughs> Kentucky in this matchup is minus three and a half against Providence. And I think this is just super fun. We're going to get Bryce Hopkins against Kentucky. Obviously, Bryce Hopkins, first team all Big East player this year, who actually transferred away from Kentucky last season after not playing a whole lot. Uh, this Providence team has not been very good coming down the stretch. They've lost four of their last five. I just don't know how much I trust this team. But I will tell you, man, like, I'm really worried about Kentucky being able to drive any sort of offense in this game because Providence is pretty good as a rebounding team because they always are. They also have a lot of dudes that are going to be able to chase around Case and Wallace, such as Devin Carter. They have the ability to space the floor like someone with someone like Noah Locke. I think this is a strange matchup for Kentucky that will be very interesting to see. Yeah. And Jared Bynum, another you know, smaller body out there who can really chase guys around and put pressure on as well. I love Ed Cooley from a defensive tactician standpoint. He's really good at identifying where he wants to pinpoint mismatches and what he wants to do to try to disrupt his opponents. He's always done that. And he's won a ton of games in the NCAA tournament in the first round by doing so and being well-prepared for that first-round matchup. This yeah. is another one of those where their perimeter pressure, the guards, and the way that they can move can really stall out this 2004 Kentucky motion offense where it gets dribbled in place atop the key while they down screen and flare screen for each other, trying to get low post position for Oscar Shibway before they throw it into the black hole that he is down there and not really generate easy looks for their, themselves as a team. Uh, this is this is when I'm going to start leaning more towards Providence, and not just because of the emotional factor for a guy like Bryce Hopkins, but their defense is going to be tailor-made to disrupt this, this Kentucky team. And it will take a superhuman effort from a guy like Cason Wallace and really smart game planning from Calipari to try to overcome that. Yeah, I agree in general. The thing that Kentucky has really struggled with throughout the season defensively is a lot of ball screens, right? If you can get Oscar Shibway in space, that is where Kentucky is going to be pulled apart from the seams. Now, the thing is, in general about Providence is they don't really have like a unreal guard who's going to like pull you out into space. Like Jared Bynum is a really good uh, ball screen player, but he's really the only one that like I'm substantially worried about in that way. And then they don't really have like, you know, a tried and true, you know, pick and pop guy, right? Unless you're using Bryce Hopkins as the pick and pop guy, but that would require you to play Bryce Hopkins almost at the five 
in order to get him guarded by Oscar. And I don't see Kentucky doing that, right? Like I, I don't see Kentucky ever putting Oscar on Bryce Hopkins is the screener, right? Yeah. yeah. So with all that being said, I do wonder if this can be kind of an okay matchup for Kentucky, just purely because I think that this flex offense isn't necessarily going to be one that like really like stretches Oscar out and causes all sorts of issues that way. Yeah. Again, another fascinating matchup. Like if there's one thing the committee has done a decent job of, it's finding like good offense versus good defense or really unique stylistic tendencies from teams that are about to clash in the first round here. Uh, I don't want to call this a toss up necessarily. I think Kentucky is more talented. They're certainly deeper. The one thing the Friars lack is, is depth of any type of kind. So, uh, I lean Providence just because I like their defensive style, and I've seen that interrupt Kentucky a ton. I think that you're spot on there in your analysis of what typically beats the Wildcats, which is attacking Shibway relentlessly in ball screens. But looking at this part of the bracket, I don't know if there are many teams that can really do so uh, until you get to Marquette. So uh, this might be one of those better safe than sorry, put your money on Kentucky and just see if they can roll into the Sweet 16 type of moments. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I'm a little bit worried about Kansas State in that regard. Like, I, yeah. I think Kansas State Kansas State doesn't run a ton of ball screens necessarily, just, like, throughout the course of their offense. Like, they're not, like, relentless with it. Like, for instance, even, like, Vanderbilt is, right? But I do think that with Marquise Noel, he's just, like, an ex- exceptionally dangerous player uh, in those situations. And then Naquan Tomlin is a guy that, like, will comfortably pick and pop at the very least. So... I have some worries in a Kansas State matchup for Kentucky, but I, I do I do think the Providence matchup is going to be okay for Kentucky. Speaking of Kansas State, let's go to this next little matchup here. Kansas State against Montana State. I I am a fan of Danny Sprinkle, first and foremost. I think Danny Sprinkle is a really, really good coach and a really smart X's and O's schematic guy that really knows how to take advantage of what opposing teams will present to him. This is a good group led by Raekwon Battle, who is, uh, I believe he went to Washington to start his career, a high major recruit uh, that can really get hot and he can really, really score the basketball at a high level. I think Kansas State probably wins this matchup, if only because I think Kansas State is a very talented team and I don't know that uh, Montana State's going to be able to keep up with them offensively. Yeah, the, the Wildcats like to go, and you know their offense has been great this year with with a guy like Noel running the show and, and his ability to get hot from three in a hurry. They've got two mismatch forwards in Tomlin and Keontae Johnson who can do different things on the offensive end of the floor and, and really make it hard to uh, you know to if you have two bigs, it's really hard to hide one of them against Kansas State, or if you have a weaker defensive wing. Jerome Tang will find ways to pick on that a little bit more, but they want to play up tempo. They want to go in transition. They're your quintessential, like try harder, compete more type of team. And that usually works and and motivates them to get a little bit better. They've been the surprise of the college basketball season. I think Tang is one of the front runners, if not the front runner to be national coach of the year. Uh, But it's still hard to really trust this group on talent alone to make a really deep run in March. Yep. No, I agree with you. I don't know that I trust them to make a deep run. I do think they can get to the sweet 16 because look, if they're willing to just like really relentlessly attack Kentucky and ball screens, I think that they're going to be able to cause some issues for them there. 
I do think that they beat Montana State. I don't think Montana State's really going to be able to keep up with them offensively here. Uh, Kansas State is a minus eight and a half point favorite in that matchup. Let's go to this next little spot here. Michigan State against USC. Uh, this, this is like the, another game kind of like that Mar- uh, Maryland and West Virginia matchup that I'm just like not excited to watch yeah. at all. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like uh, USC, by the way, just a real quick shout out here. Andy Enfield gets shit on relentlessly <laughs> as being a coach, right? Just just gets absolutely murdered as a coach. He's made the last four NCAA tournaments now, or would have made the 2020 NCAA tournament, right? Made an Elite Eight in 2021. I believe they won the Pac-12 that year. That was obviously the year with, um, I believe that was the Evan Mobley season, right? Has won 20 straight, 20 games, four straight years. I believe he's won 20 games in like seven of the last eight years. They went 14 and six in uh, the Pac-12 this season. Can, can we just like note that Andy Enfield's just a good coach now? Can, yeah. can we just like admit, can we, can we, can we remove everything about Andy Enfield and just admit this guy's a good coach at this point? Like this is where we're at. The pride of Johns Hopkins. I got no problem doing that. And I really like the way that he recruits and and enables his recruits and and players to come in and kind of play to their strengths. He's really creative at finding ways to not handicap them at a young age. And I think he's always had big men and is able to use them really well defensively, whether it's man or zone. And this year with a guy like like Trey White, I've been really impressed by White. He's one of those, I don't think he's going to be a 2023 prospect, but I'm really tracking him moving forward to be a first-round pick in 2024. I really like his size and skill combination. Yeah, I agree. He's a guy that I probably will have in the first round in 2024. Uh, Boogie Ellis is the guy here, though. He's been absolutely terrific over the course of, especially the latter part of the season here for USC. Uh, You know, went for 35 in that game against Arizona to close out. Was it to close out the season? I can't remember. It was their last weekend. I know that. You know, goes for 35 against Arizona, goes for 33 against Stanford. If he gets hot, it's going to be really, really hard to stop them. Uh, it's going to be really, really hard. Drew Peterson is a tough mismatch, kind of nightmare guy as a six foot nine ball handler almost who can run off of screens at a really high level. Uh, it all comes down to whether or not USC is going to be able to slow down Michigan State's ball screen attack with AJ Hogard and Tyson Walker. Uh, if they can do that, I think that USC has a good chance to win. If Michigan State just kind of eats them up in ball screens, I think that Michigan State wins. That's really what this comes down to. It's kind of simple to me. Yeah, and I think the Spartans go as A.J. Hoggard goes. Like you saw in the Big Ten tournament, he was really poor. I forget who they played in in the the last game where they got eliminated, but uh, he was really poor at the start and then turned it up in the second half and really gave them a – Who did they play? Who did they play? The team that nobody wanted to play, the team that nobody wanted to make the NCAA tournament this year, got really lucky – that the Ohio State Buckeyes did not make the NCAA tournament this year. They were absolutely going to run every single team in this <laughs> tournament. It's just that, unfortunately, they ran into Purdue, and Purdue's a buzzsaw. Like, it's it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Things happen yeah. here. Okay. And look, I, I just, uh, I'm just i not I'm not a huge fan of Michigan State in this tournament, man. Like, I, I don't think that they have one thing that they do incredibly well. Their guards are good and they can attack in ball screens, but this is not your typical Tom Izzo team that's super gritty and disciplined and you just fall in love with. I do think that they have 
a pr- I think they are more likely to beat USC than USC is to beat them, but I think this is a very tight matchup. And I don't think either of these teams beat Marquette is the two seed in this region. Uh, for what it's worth, Michigan State is a minus one and a half favorite against USC. Another matchup I'm not really all that excited about watching. Marquette is an 11 and a half point favorite against Vermont. Marquette is one of my favorite teams in this tournament. Marquette is an exceptionally difficult team to match up with, especially now that they are defending. You mentioned that you would have Jerome Tang as one of the finalists for coach of the year. Shaka Smart will be my pick for national coach of the year this season. The scheme he's developed in ball screens around Tyler Kolek and also Igadaro has really unlocked them to become one of the great offensive teams within college basketball this season. And you look at the way they defend now. You look at, you know, uh, Omax Prosper, David Joplin, uh, Stevie Mitchell. They have guys that really run around and compete on that end defensively at such a high level. I think Marquette is a very, very, very dangerous team, as we will get to whenever I talk about my picks throughout this uh, region here. Your dream as a coach is to have a team that competes their asses off and kind of takes the identity and the personality of their coaching staff. And this Marquette team has bought into being a shock of smart type of team really quickly where they defend their asses off and are constantly applying pressure. They're the most mentally intense team that you can find for someone with this much talent and having guys like Kolek and Igadaro who are maestros as passers allow the ball to move really freely. And I want to give a quick shout out Nevada Smith, who was a former G league coach. Now an assistant there with Marquette helped design some of that offense, be very principle based. They move the ball incredibly well. They spread the floor well, and they keep things very simple, but everybody knows what to do as soon as they catch it, which means as soon as they can create a mismatch and a scramble, they're going to get a high quality look and then they're going to continue to scratch and claw for offensive rebounds. They're going to apply pressures on teams in the full court smartly. They're going to really get into the right pressure points on the defensive end of the floor. They're competitive as all hell, and they really want this. I'm a big, big, big believer in this Marquette team. I like the way that the path is set up for them, but quite honestly, Sam, I don't think it mattered. I would have gone with Marquette to be an elite eight team no matter what. I think that's basically right for me, too. So let's make picks in this region. Purdue or the winner of Texas Southern and Fairleigh Dickinson? <laughs> Purdue. Okay, you're, you're just going to laugh. Okay, Purdue. Uh, Memphis against Florida Atlantic. Uh, flip a coin, I'll go Memphis. I am also going to go Memphis, unfortunately. Duke against Oral Roberts. I'll go with Duke on talent. I'm going to go Duke there as well. Tennessee against Louisiana. Yeah, I'll go Tennessee. I just, I don't love the matchup. I'm also going to go Tennessee. Kentucky against Providence. Providence. I'm doing it. I'm going Kentucky there. Kansas State against Montana State. K-State. Michigan State against USC. Flip of a coin. I'll go Michigan State. I will also go Michigan State there. Marquette against Vermont. Marquette. Purdue against Memphis. Purdue. Purdue for me as well. Duke against Tennessee. Duke. Duke for me as well. Uh, Providence against Kansas State for you? I'm going to go Providence here. Okay. I am going Kentucky against Kansas State, and I'm going to say Kentucky beats Kansas State. The thing that worries me most about Kentucky is Casey Wallace's health. 
Yeah. There's a very good chance I change that if we get more information saying Casey Wallace is not healthy. At, at the very least, like not going to be even like 80% going into that uh, little little pocket of games. All right. Okay, Asterisk Michigan State against seen. Marquette. Um, I'm laying them out. Marquette against it. Michigan State. Marquette. Okay. Duke against Purdue. Hmm. I'm going to go Duke. This is a fun one. That's a yeah, fun I'm, one. I'm going Duke. I'm also going Duke there. I think Duke is a real size-based mismatch for Purdue. So we have Duke in the Elite Eight, both of us. Uh, Okay. I have Kentucky. You have Providence against Marquette. I have Marquette. Okay. I also have Marquette. And then Duke against Marquette for both of us. I have Marquette. I also have Marquette. Okay. Next up, the Midwest region, the top right region here, Houston against Northern Kentucky. Uh, I don't really have too too many takes on northern kentucky but i will say that i think that the big key here for houston is just marcus sasser's health if marcus sasser is healthy this becomes a, a very real cakewalk for houston yeah if marcus sasser is not healthy i worry about houston moving forward Yeah, I think that the first two games that they'll play should be okay no matter what, and you hope that that buys Sasser enough time to get healthy. Uh, I know we'll talk Iowa and Auburn in a moment here. I just don't trust either team to be able to pick them over such a disciplined group that Houston is. Like If there's one thing you always know about a Kelvin Sampson team, is that they're going to show up and they're going to compete their asses off every single night. They bring it with the intensity, and those are not teams that – I'm going to bet against unless I feel like there's a real strategic or logistical matchup nightmare that they would have to deal with Iowa, Auburn, or certainly any 16 seed is not going to be able to provide that for the Cougars. Okay. Let's go to that eight, nine matchup, which is Iowa and Auburn. I have no idea what to think of this, but I will say the (laughs) thing that I am most excited about seeing in this matchup is we're going to get Iowa taking on a really athletic Auburn team that is going to be a real it's going to be really interesting to watch Chris Murray against an Auburn team that is very good defensively that has a lot of size a lot of athleticism to be able to throw at Chris Murray and we're going to learn a lot about just what Chris Murray is able to deal with I think in terms of physicality uh, with that like explosive athleticism with also real interior defense with Janai Broom yeah I I think the way that Auburn can pressure the basketball in so many different spots while protecting the basket with broom on the backside is key for them. Uh, Iowa can really shoot it and get hot, but they're so bipolar. They have some games where they're an amazing offensive group and that just carries them all the way through. And they have some games where they look like the right hand's not talking to the left and they don't know where to go when they absolutely need a bucket. And that tends to happen when Murray gets limited in some regard, or there's a lot of athleticism, good defensive wings that can guard him. Look, Auburn is the least enjoyable offense to watch in the country, in my opinion. Cannot stand watching them try to score the basketball. Like It's a lot of guards that dribble and point at each other with nothing happening and then taking some sort of a contested 20-footer. I don't think that they're going to push Iowa on the defensive end of the floor the way that the Hawkeyes are really susceptible to being pinpointed. I don't know where to go in this matchup because I think that you know on one end – Auburn's defense is great and 
Iowa's offense is great. On the other end, Iowa's defense is terrible, and Auburn's offense is terrible. So another coin flip 8-9 matchup for me here, Sam. I like the point you brought up about ball pressure. I probably will take Auburn in this game because of that. I would have bet so much money I was picking against Auburn in the NCAA tournament this year coming in before the teams. But I do think that this is an interesting matchup for Auburn that uh, could allow them to have a little bit of success. Okay. That matchup, by the way, uh, minus one and a half for Auburn. Okay. Miami against Drake. Now with Miami, again, we have a very real injury concern here. Uh, Norchad O'Meara, is their six foot seven center. Who's one of the best players in the ACC this season. You know, he played one minute against Duke and went out. Like, if he's not healthy, this becomes a real danger spot for Miami because Drake is a very, very, very interesting, intricate offense that will force them to really be spaced out and then could, if Omir is not healthy, be able to take advantage on the interior at a really high level. Uh, led by Tucker DeVries, Roman Penn, uh, even Sergar T- Calhoun, Garrett Sturts. This is a really, really good Drake team. But re- really, it comes down to seeing Tucker DeVries against high-level athletes against Miami. That's going to be the interesting matchup here. Yeah, so Drake is, as far as I'm checking my notes here to make sure of this, they are the only team to be in kind of the top 45 Ken Palm to receive a 12-seed uh, the, the last team to, to do so, LaSalle, when they were able to, to make their run 12 uh, or, or Drake, lower. Drake, Drake is Drake is 66 right now. 66, what am, I, what am I looking at? I'm looking at Bartorvik, I believe. Okay, so wrong metric here, but in Bartorvik. So, uh, Bartorvik has them at like 44, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. and the adjusted okay. uh, net ratings on Bartorvik, Drake is the highest rated team to receive a 12 seed or lower since LaSalle, and they made a run to the Sweet 16. Really, really experienced group. Ton of seniors who know how to play. Penn is the underrated piece for this when they need a bucket because teams are trying to take away DeVries. He can go out there and get one. They're stout on the defensive end of the floor, too. I think that's an underrated aspect of this Drake team. Intricate offense, great pieces and experience there. But because they're old, they know how to defend a little bit. It's going to come down to health for Miami. I, I'm going to watch this Jordan Miller versus Tucker DeVries matchup to the, you know, to the cows come home in June, trying to figure out what it says about DeVries as a, an actual prospect. It's a really important game for him, but man, do I love Drake. It's going to be hard for me to, to not pick them here. It's funny too, because I really like Miami. I think Isaiah Wong is a really underrated player nationally. Uh, A guy that I think is probably one of the 15 to 20 best players in this NCAA tournament. Nigel Pack is a guy that you can always trust to be able to fire away from three. Jordan Miller is a terrific player as well. I think Miami's probably just a little bit too athletic for Drake at the end of the day. But that Jordan Miller matchup against Tucker DeVries, man, like you said, that's that's what this is going to come down to as well as Norchad O'Meara's health. If O'Meara is healthy... I think Miami wins this. If he is not healthy, I think this is a real toss-up that could be complicated. And for what it's worth, Miami is only a a three-and-a-half point favorite against Drake, which kind of says to me that I wonder if Omir is like 100% uh, going into this thing. Yeah, I don't have the same intel that many of those odds 
makers do. Uh, but that tells me a lot about where I'm at with Drake right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to roll with Drake. Okay. Next up, the 4-13 in that region is Indiana against Kent State. Kent State is a team that has played very, very tough against some really good teams this year. They lost Charleston by two. They lost to Houston by five. They lost to Gonzaga by seven. They have some really, really good guards in Sincere Carey and Malik Jacobs. I am a little bit worried about Indiana here, but the key for Indiana is I really don't actually know who's going to be capable of guarding Trace Jackson Davis on the interior. And we have seen that Trace Jackson Davis uh, not only might be the best player in college basketball right now, certainly is a case in my opinion. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis was also absolutely incredible last year in the NCAA tournament against Wyoming. Yeah, uh, he, he was an absolute beast in that game. I feel like Indiana wins here, but I feel like this Kent State team is going to give them every single thing that they can handle. Yeah, Kent State, really good defensive group. Really, really good on the perimeter. They turn you over a lot, and Sincere Carey can go out there and, and get his own. Uh, I've watched a lot of Hoosiers games this year, Sam, and I think that there's a couple things that stand out to me. One is they either have a game where they play through Jalen Hood-Shafino or they play through Trace Jackson-Davis. Based on the matchups, based on how teams are trying to play them, one of those two guys is going to step up. This is clearly a Trace Jackson-Davis game. The second thing is they just need to hit shots. Their offense can get really stalled out, and they're a lot easier to guard when teams aren't scrambling to close out on the perimeter after they shadow double team or or send a hard trap at Trace Jackson Davis. If Indiana can't penalize teams for sending two at them, they're going to have an earlier exit than we'd like. I love this Hoosiers team for the way that they compete, the way that they defend. They're a really smart group, and they play together. They just have to make shots. I think that that is absolutely correct. How do we think that Jalen hood Shafino performs as a freshman going up against the Kent State team that does have like a very experienced backcourt in Sincere Carey and Malik Jacobs? Like those two have been around. They also have Jalen Sollinger, who's a little bit younger, but Sollinger has been uh, really quite good as a shooter throughout the course of this season. How, how do we feel about Hood Shafino trying to deal with some of these older, experienced guards that, again, they know what they're doing. Like, they've been around. They have, they've played in tough games for years upon years now. Kent State, uh, this team has won 20 games in essentially three of the last four years. And the year that they didn't was the COVID-shortened season where they were 15-8 and eight and well on their way to winning 20 games. So when it comes to Jalen Hood Shafino, I can't go off of anything other than what we've seen this year. And he is unflappable in pressure. I'm just going to keep going back to that road win at Purdue where he carried them, particularly in the first half, and hit tough bucket after tough bucket down the stretch to keep their lead going. He can walk into a hostile environment like that and be poised and calm the entire time. I'm not worried about how he's going to react to a big stage or some guards who can get into him and try to apply a little bit of pressure. Uh, I feel good about where Hushifino's at. I agree. And he's also bigger than these guards, and he's a terrific point of attack defender. I do think Indiana wins this game. I think it is going to be a very, very tight game, though. Kent State is a really good, really experienced, really old team. Okay. That, by the way, is a minus 
four and a half hmm. uh, point line in favor of Indiana. So that's a little bit tighter than what you would expect. Okay. Iowa State against the winner of Mississippi State and Pitt. I do not want to spend a lot of time on Mississippi State and Pitt because that is the most nondescript NCAA tournament game that's ever existed in history. <laughs> uh, give me a winner real quick. Uh, Pitt. Uh, I'm going to go Mississippi Stakes. I don't yeah. trust anything with this pit team, but sure. Uh, I'm going to say Mississippi State because their defense is going to stop Pitt from scoring more than like 55 points in this game. Yeah. But Iowa State, on the other hand, is at the very least like an intriguing team to discuss. They were terrible coming down the stretch. Like this is a team that started 13 and 2 and finished 19 and 13. Like they lost, they lost 11 of their last 17 games. I feel like this is not a great team. If I'm being completely honest, I think they got a little bit lucky uh, going up against a Baylor team that they have very real specific matchup advantages against. I mean, I don't feel great about Iowa State advancing in this tournament. I mean, Jaron Holmes is a, tough player who has NCAA tournament experience. Gabe Kalsher is a really tough defender. Osun Oshuni is a terrific defensive player. Tamman Lipsy is a guy that I think is going to be a really, really good player. He's still a little bit turnover prone right now for Iowa State. I just feel like I know that they've played like the world's hardest schedule in the Big 12. Uh, they are literally fourth this year in strength of schedule. I just find it very difficult to believe that they're going to advance particularly far in this tournament with how like horribly they have played recently. Yeah. They're, they're one guard short. Like Hassan Ward has come in and given them a little bit of a jolt off the bench. The last couple of games, I know Otzelberger has been trying to tinker with the rotation, particularly now that Caleb grill is gone, just trying to figure out what works for them, but they, they feel like they're one guard short. You know, I, I said it in a, in a tweet as soon as the brackets camp came out. Like if it's Mississippi state versus Iowa state in the six eleven matchup, it's probably going to be like 17, 16 at the half. Like neither team yep. can score and they're both tremendous and always dialed in on the defensive end. Uh, not really a, a fun or appealing brand of basketball. And as we're looking forward to that second round game there against Xavier Kennesaw state, I guess they have the defensive chops to give the Musketeers some trouble, but you can't feel good about any of those three Iowa state Pitt, or Mississippi really advancing comfortably. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, a Mississippi State Iowa State game would probably set basketball back by like 15 years uh with those defenses just completely dominating the offenses. I think there's a chance Iowa State gets to the second round. I just I, I mean, I think there's a chance Mississippi State gets to the second round. I think there's a chance Pitt gets to the second round. I just don't like any of these teams and don't want to spend much more time talking about them. Okay. Next up, Xavier and Kennesaw State. We shouted out Amir Abdurrahim. Uh, recently on the show uh, with Kennesaw State. Xavier is an interesting team, if only because they have dealt recently with a few injuries. Zach Fremantle, I believe, is going to miss the rest of the season, right? Yep. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, he is done, which means you have Sule Boom, Colby Jones, forming one of the best backcourts in the entire country, mixed with Jack Nungy, who is a seven-foot floor spacer at the center position. And now they play a little bit more traditionally as opposed to before with Zach Fremantle. They were able to play like two guys that are six foot 10 or taller who can really space the floor, can really pass, can really play make. They can also defend a little bit. Uh, 
with Jerome Hunter, it's, you know, more of a defensive oriented four man that isn't really much of a scoring threat at a super high level. He can finish on the interior, but like, it's just not quite as, not quite as dangerous. It feels like offensively in the Xavier team is one that has been really, really good offensively throughout the course of this season. I still will pick them to beat Kennesaw state, but Kennesaw state is probably a little bit more uh, live here than what you would think. Yeah. And, and whether it's Kennesaw state or the next round, we were just talking about the you know, slug festing defenses of the cyclones and the bulldogs. I don't feel comfortable with Xavier right now after watching what we did in the Big East Championship game and the way that Marquette was really able to pressure them and kind of overwhelm them with just intensity and athleticism. I think that Mississippi State and Iowa State can do that defensively. Iowa State three wins over Baylor this year. I think of Baylor as being a fairly good comp for a team like Xavier where they're led by their guard play. They have a little bit of size on the interior but they're more shot makers and skill than they are put their head down, go into traffic and get to the basket for easy ones. Uh, I'd be really curious to see if Xavier can pull out a, a tough matchup against the Cyclones. Yeah, it's intriguing. I think Xavier probably is the favorite at this point to go to the sweet 16 out of this group. I mean, that Xavier team against any of the, against Iowa state and Mississippi state defensively, particularly would be a really intriguing matchup to me having to watch those two teams be able to play Xavier, who is as good as they are offensively. I think Mississippi State actually would particularly cause Xavier some problems. Just the Tolu Smith on the interior, he can really move his feet a little bit on defense. Uh, they are a tough physical team, and I think Chris Jans is a terrific coach. I might pick Mississippi State to the Sweet 16 out of that region. Whoa, we'll man. see whenever I get there. I feel not <laughs> great about that. Uh, okay, the most... Uh, the most competitive matchup of the first round, I feel like, is going to be Texas A&M and uh, Penn State. I think both of these teams are probably a little bit underseeded for how good yes. they are. Uh, Texas A&M particularly, I think, should be like a five seed. And Penn State, I think, should be in an eight-nine game. Uh, Penn State has Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy. Texas A&M has a terrific guard in Wade Taylor. They have a lot of just really high-level depth kind of across the entire group there. Like Henry Coleman is like super physical on the interior. Mm -hmm. Julius Marble has been like a terrific transfer addition for Michigan State. Uh, Tyrese Radford is just someone that you can rely on to create offense uh, consistently and like be like a connective guard next to Taylor. I do... Man, this is a hard one. This yes. is a really hard one for me. And both of these coaches, by the way, are absolutely terrific, I think, in game. Like, Buzz Williams is really, really good. You give him some time. I think he's going to really scheme up some ways to beat Penn State. And I think Shrews, Micah Shrewsbury is just an absolute stud in terms of creating real offensive firepower that can uh, really space out opposing teams. Like, this Penn State team, yep. they play super small and – they did get a matchup here with Texas A&M. Like Henry Coleman will try and pound them inside. You know, Julius Marble will try to like post them occasionally. But this is a matchup they can manage in terms of size, I think, which is big for them. I, it's why I'm going to go with Penn State in this one because they've beaten teams like this before and they know how to do it and they're very disciplined at getting to 
to do so. Uh, they compete defensively because they're strong, not because they're big. They've got experience and guys who are physically strong and can hold their ground a little bit more. This is going to be, if, if you're not a fan of the charge, like cover your eyes and, and don't watch this game at all because Penn State is going to be flopping all over the place to try to draw offensive fouls against A&M. Um, I love Jalen Pickett. I'm getting closer and closer to having him as a top 40 or 45 guy because he just creates offense and is really, really good. This is going to be a fun game. Really, really fun contrast of styles of great coaches. I just like what Penn State is doing right now, getting all the way to the Big Ten Championship games. A huge shot in the arm from them confidence-wise. They are underseeded here, but uh, I'm going to go with the Nittany Lions. I think I'm also going to go Penn State here as well. I think a big part of why Penn State's defense struggled uh, throughout the course of this season is just because of the size issue and because of uh, the fact that they just don't really crash the offensive glass at all. And I don't know that Texas A&M is going to like really be able to take advantage of the size-based issues that Penn State has, that Penn State had throughout the course of the Big Ten season, not being able to manage a lot of those bigger monsters on the interior uh, that the Big Ten presents against them. Uh, That matchup, by the way, Xavier is an 11.5-point favorite against Kennesaw State. Penn State is a a 2.5-point underdog against Texas A&M. The final matchup in that region is Texas and Colgate. Colgate is a live 15 seed, I think. This is another team that I think is probably underseeded. Uh, Col- Colgate is a dangerous group. And I feel like we say that every year under Matt Langle. Yep. And I feel like they haven't gotten one yet, have they? No, they have not gotten one. They played Wisconsin really tight last year. That was the Johnny Davis game where uh, yeah. Nelly, Nelly Cummings for Colgate, who's no longer there, he's at Pitt now was really dangerous and they're a much more balanced team than they were a year ago. Now that Cummings isn't in the picture, but they are the best three point shooting team in the entire country. They're not very good defensively. They're not huge, but they space you out and they are immaculate on the offensive end of the floor. It's hard to see that working against the depth, the perimeter pressure and all of the great defensive guards that the Longhorns can throw at them. But at the very least, it's going to be a fun contrast of styles. I think Texas is just going to like bludgeon them kind of with this team. Yep. But I will say, so part of what Colgate does is generally just kind of space you out, right? That's, that's what their goal is. And it's not like Texas had like a crazy amount of success playing a team like Baylor this year. They split the Baylor games, but I do think Baylor was able to score on them. And I wonder if Colgate being able to space them out in a similar way to Baylor does is going to be able to score on Texas. I just don't think that Colgate really has any shot to stop Texas at all. Yeah. I mean, look, nine out of 10 dentists will recommend Colgate here, but I got to go with Texas. Yeah, no, I'm going to go Texas. Okay. Let's dive deep here. Uh, Make some picks on the region. Houston against Northern Kentucky. Houston. Iowa against Auburn. Toss up. I'll go Iowa. I'm going to go Auburn. Miami against Drake. Give me Drake. I don't trust the health with Miami. I'm going to take Miami. Indiana against Kent State. I'll take the Hoosiers. I'm also taking Indiana. Iowa State against Mississippi State. Or Pitt. Whoever knows how that one's going to shake out. I'll go the Cyclones to be safe. 
Okay, I'm going to go Mississippi State to beat Pitt and to beat Iowa State. Uh, Xavier, Kennesaw State. Xavier. I'm also going Xavier. Okay, Texas A&M, Penn State. Oof, another, this is one of the, the most fun first-round matchups we'll have, but I'll go with the Nittany Lions. I'm going to go Texas A&M the more I think about it. Uh, Texas against Colgate. Yeah, Texas. Okay. Uh, Houston against Iowa for you. Yeah, I'll go Houston. I'm going Houston over Auburn. Drake against Indiana for you. Oh, I'm going with the Hoosiers. Okay, I have Miami, Indiana. I'm going to go Indiana there. Uh, I just think Trace Jackson Davis against the uncertainty of Omir is probably a safer bet. Mississippi State, Xavier for me. Iowa State, Xavier for you. Iowa State against Xavier. I'll go with the Cyclones. Okay, I'm going to go Mississippi State against Xavier there, and I'm going to take Mississippi State. Uh, Penn State, Texas for you. I'm going with Texas in this one. Just too much defensive firepower. Okay, and I have Texas A&M against Texas. I am going to go Texas A&M there. Oh, I love it. I think Texas A&M is pretty good. I know we just talked about how tough that first-round matchup is. I think Texas A&M is pretty good. Uh, Houston against Indiana you have, I believe. Yeah, upset special for me. I'm going IU. Okay, this is like entirely dependent on Marcus Sasser. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to assume that by the second weekend, Marcus Sasser is healthy, and I'm going to take Houston there. Okay. Uh, I You have Iowa State, I believe, and against Texas. Texas. Yep, and I'll go with where all my exes live, which is Texas. Okay. I have Mississippi State, Texas A&M. I'm going to take Texas A&M there. Nice. Uh, all the way to the Elite Eight. And then you have Houston against Texas. Uh, I have Indiana against Texas. You have Indiana against Texas. That's right. Indiana against Texas. And I will. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know if I like this one. I'll go with the Hoosiers. Okay. I have Houston against Texas A&M, and I'm going to take Houston to the Final Four. Uh, means I have two one seeds and a two. I believe you have. What do you have? You have a one, a two, and a four? Yep. Okay. Next up, the final region here. We're going bottom right, the West region. This is just a laughable region. Kansas against Howard. Shout out to Howard, by the way. Kenny Blakeney over at Howard. Uh, Kansas is a team that I am extremely looking forward to watching in the NCAA tournament. This is the team that I think is just like exceptionally dangerous. They are just very good on both ends of the court. I'm a big believer in Kansas, as we'll talk about here in a second. But the matchup that I want to talk about most is... Arkansas, Illinois. Oh. The, this little pocket here, this these games are in – where are these games? They are being Do, played in Des Moines, Iowa. I would imagine that Des Moines is going to be the most popular spot for uh, NBA scouts, this little stretch here, uh, here for the next week. And Arkansas, Illinois is a big reason why. Illinois has guys like Coleman Hawkins – Terrence Shannon, a whole lot of interesting younger guards. Obviously, they can go a little bit bigger with danger if they need to. I am fascinated to see what in the world happens with Illinois against Arkansas. Two guys that I think are really good, like one-game coaches, and Brad Underwood and Eric Musselman. 
two really, really flawed rosters. You know, Matthew Mayer has been uh, a guy that throughout his career, I've had a lot of questions about, but over the course of the close of the season outside of that game against Penn state has been really, really good. Can Matthew Mayer guard anybody on Arkansas? Can Arkansas space the floor in any way, shape or form against Illinois? Arkansas is the more talented team. Arkansas is going to be maybe the more talented team in every game they play other than Kansas in this region. It's just they have no spacing and the roster does not fit well together. What do you think of this fun Illinois-Arkansas matchup? I think it's two teams that are limping into the NCAA tournament or like just begging to be put out of their misery in some regard. Like it's 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 ugly basketball with both of them lately where Illinois – you know, their offense has always been really strong under Underwood, but I, I struggle with their defense. And Arkansas, they can't space the floor at all, and it makes it really hard to get crisp evaluations on guys like Anthony Black and Nick Smith moving forward. You want to bet on Arkansas just knowing that they've got the two more talented guys and enough shot-making from Smith that it might be able to overcome in a really competitive situation. But it's, it's just so hard to trust either one of them. And I think both of them will be fun matchups for Kansas in the next game. But I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what to make of this one. I don't either. I think this could genuinely go either way. This is like a pure toss-up game to me. Uh, by the way, in terms of the lines here, Kansas is a minus 21.5 point favorite against Howard. Arkansas is a minus 2.5 point favorite against Illinois. The, the computers like don't even really like either. I guess they like Arkansas a little bit more than their record. Uh, they're 20 and 13 and they're still 20th in Ken Palm. Like, I, I don't know what to expect from this game. This, neither of these teams have been anything resembling consistent. Neither of these teams have been anything resembling reliable in any way. I guess that I, I don't know. Like, Coleman Hawkins is like actually a pretty big differentiator in that game because his ability to like just step out in space a little bit with his like pick and pop game and his passing and his short roll game. But like can danger like take advantage of like the Mitchell twins on the block? Maybe I think that Illinois has like some real potential schematic advantages. I just think that, Arkansas is probably the more talented group, and it's hard for me to go against talent on some level here. Yeah, I think I would lean towards the Razorbacks for that exact same reason. Man, I don't know. That's going to be like a total toss-up for me until we get there. Uh, VCU St. Mary's is a really fun 5-12 matchup. St. Mary's is a three-and-a-half-point favorite against VCU. One thing I will say about this VCU team is they closed the season exceptionally well. They struggled losing to Temple and Jacksonville early in the year. But you look from December 11th onward, and this team went 21-3. and three. Uh, They went 15-3 and three in the A-10. They went out in the A-10 tournament, all with double-digit victories. Ace Baldwin has been terrific. Jaden Nunn has started to really come on. Uh, over the course of, I, I would say, like the back quarter of this season. He was really good against St. Louis, had a 31-point game against St. Joe's late in the season. On top of that, I just trust like Brandon Johns to be yeah. able to match up with some of the guys that St. Mary's has on the interior. 
St. Mary's is a really good team. Aiden Mahaney is one of the most fun guards you're going to get to watch in the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, Logan Johnson is a really strong, high-level creator as an athlete. I I would have thought that I would have picked St. Mary's to go pretty far in this tournament. I really trust them on defense particularly, and I trust how uh, how able of taking advantage of mismatches they are on the offensive end with their ability to space the floor. I think VCU gives them some real problems athletically in this matchup. I'm just going to hit the retweet button on that. I love Johns. I love none. And I love Baldwin. This is a gritty team that's been on fire lately. Uh, I got VCU here as well. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that like Ace Baldwin is a killer defender and they're just going to toss him on Mahaney and it's going to be hard for Mahaney to really create offense for them, I think. Yep, totally. And, and I love Randy Bennett, like one of my favorite coaches in the country. Absolutely love what St. Yeah. Mary's has going up there. But this VCU team seems like they're on a war path right now. Yeah, three and a half point favorite St. Mary's. I'm also going to go VCU in this circumstance. Uh, that is a plus 150 money line for what it's worth, according to our friends at BetMGM. Okay, next up, UConn, Iona. My <laughs> goodness. I mean, can, can you imagine the uh, the Northeast apocalypse that's about to happen here? Iona has won 13 or 14 straight games, I'm sorry. Uh, they have a lot of really high-level guards. The UConn Huskies are one of my favorite teams, and I would have, I would have bet you coming into this – whole entire tournament i would have had connecticut in the final four this is a hard matchup for connecticut in the first round though really hard really really hard to to be able to get past in like it everyone's gonna make a big deal about rick patino and the rivalries that he has potential departure out of iona this is a very good basketball team very very good basketball team and need i remind you a year ago the league champions from the maac the Big Mac ended up going on and beating Kentucky. That was St. Peter's. So don't sleep on this conference in this league. Really good players in there. Uh, Clayton, the the guard for Iona, has been sensational throughout the season. But I, I'm with you. I, I've been a big believer in and excuse me, Connecticut for a long period of time. I love the way that they can overwhelm you with size at every single position. They can pound the ball inside to Klingon and Sonogo whenever they need to. And when they do that, it makes it really hard to account for somebody like Jordan Hawkins who can just go off in a, a moment's notice. So I think I'm going to go with UConn here, but uh, certainly an intriguing matchup. Yeah, here's the thing for UConn that I think is just like intriguing at the very least to me. Iona is one of the few mid-majors that just size-wise can match up at all with UConn, right? Like they have Osborne Shima, they have... Yeah, Nelly jo- Junior Joseph. Like these guys are relatively bigger, like seven foot tall. Nelly Junior Joseph is six foot nine. Like they're physical. They're willing to like battle with you on some level, right? The problem in this game is that even though those guys are big, Iona is a particularly bad defensive rebounding team. Uh, they were in the bottom half of the MAAC this year in defensive rebounding. They were 272nd in defensive rebounding nationally this year. UConn is the best offensive rebounding team in the country. Uh, Adam Sonogo and Donovan Klingon just create second chance opportunities like crazy. 
I think Connecticut's going to be able to create too many second chance opportunities and win this matchup because of it. Yeah, I think that uh, that sounds right to me. Connecticut lives on in my heart as a team that <laughs> I would like to pick to go quite far. I will say Connecticut is eight is an eight and a half point favorite here. That line seems rather large to me. Uh, yeah, it does. I'm a little bit worried about that. Okay, next up. We have got, in the bottom half of this region, TCU against the winner of Arizona State, Nevada. Arizona State, Nevada is at least like a little bit more interesting to me. Uh, I don't hate these teams. I think that Nevada is kind of a sneaky, talented group. Like they have a former five-star center in Will Baker. Keenan Blackshear is like really good on both ends of the court as uh, a creator primary at six foot six and someone that's like switchable and gets into passing lanes and does a lot of interesting uh, playmaking things at the league guard spot. Darian Williams is a guy that I continue to get asked about by scouts is like, are we sure he's like not a 2023 NBA draft prospect? My answer is always no, uh, but he is someone to track for the future as like a six foot six wing who can kind of dribble, who can kind of defend, who can kind of make shots. This is a bigger team. Nevada can step away and shoot the ball a little bit. Arizona State is a team that makes a lot of mistakes. I do think that I would pick Nevada here. I don't know how much I'm going to like enjoy watching this game, though. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'll go with Rutgers here. Oh, wait, I can't because Arizona State's in the field. Uh, no, I, I love this Nevada group. Uh, I'm absolutely right there with you. A lot of young, talented, bigger guys positional size is something that, that I always point to as being an advantage in college basketball, particularly if you're not going to get beat at the point of attack as a result of it. So I'm going to go with the Wolfpack here. Okay. Uh, I think I agree with you. Next up would be TCU there. TCU, it just comes down to how much do we trust that they're healthy? How much do we uh, believe in their lack of size seemingly without Eddie Lampkin? Yeah. This is a team that's basically going to go like, you know, six foot seven and shorter at times. Like Xavier Cork will step in and start at the very least. But I, I don't know, man. Uh, TCU is just, it's seeming, they're seemingly in a very strange spot where they have not shot the ball well at all this year. And I think you're going to be able to just like pretend that they can't even shoot defensively. And I think they're going to be a little bit easier to scheme for in a one-game setting kind of like this. Yeah, uh, look, TCU, super, super fast. They want to go in transition like none other, but they don't shoot the ball particularly well, and they're missing their interior presence in Lampkin now. I don't know how they can beat a team if the game gets slowed down into a little bit more of a half-court slogfest, and like we talked about earlier, in March with all the media timeouts and all of the good guard play that you encounter it's a lot easier to slow teams down than it is to speed them up. So I was I was originally going to be really high on this TCU team to make a deep run in March. I loved their makeup. I loved the competitiveness. I am a huge Mike Miles Jr. fan. But all that's gone on over the last couple of weeks with this program makes it really hard for me to trust into them making a deep run. Plus, I keep going back to one of the 11-seed winners – from that first four games tends to win their next matchup every year. Uh, I'm going to go with, with Nevada here uh, in, in that one. 
Yeah, I think I'm still going to take TCU against those teams, but I wonder if this next one would be a little bit more difficult for them. Obviously, we don't have a line on the TCU game. I probably should give you guys a line on that first game. I didn't mention that Pitt is a one-and-a-half-point underdog against Mississippi State. Uh, Arizona State is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite against Nevada here. Uh, Yeah, I don't know that it matters because Gonzaga is the three-seed here, and I'm probably going to just – bet on Gonzaga to uh, go pretty far here. Gonzaga has been a buzzsaw recently. They have the best offense in the country. The defense has gotten manageable. They aren't great defensively, but they are manageable defensively now. Uh, The problem is that they're just going to outscore teams. And particularly against Grand Canyon, I would imagine that they're going to have no issues outscoring Grand Canyon. No, they, what they did to St. Mary's in the WCC championship game is quite legitimately one of the most grotesque things I've seen in a long period of time happen on a basketball court. They annihilated, they annihilated a five seed in this tournament and absolutely made them look terrible. Uh, I'm going to be pretty high on Gonzaga moving forward. Yeah, so... Since January 22nd, they lost that game against uh, Loyola Marymount on January 22nd uh, or on January 21st, January 19th. I'm sorry. I keep like mixing and matching here dates and things. Uh, They lost to Loyola Marymount on January 19th. I'm trying to pull up uh, what Gonzaga's offense has done since then. They have a 132 offensive rating, according to Bart Torvik's uh, system here that is 10 points better than anybody else in the country that that's how good their offense is their offense is like eight percent better than anybody else in college basketball right now they're a buzz saw on offense i really like gonzaga here uh i really like gonzaga to make the sweet 16 i will say tcu could cause them like if anybody's going to cause them problems on like offense, I do think the TCU could. You know, they do have the guards in Mike Miles and Damian Baugh to be able to like really pressure some of Gonzaga's ball handlers. And that's the thing that I think you can do to Gonzaga that worries me. I just don't think they have the size to like manage Drew Timmy inside, unfortunately. And I think Timmy playing Texas teams uh, particularly leads to a lack of success for those Texas teams. Okay. Last two little games here Northwestern, Boise State. Northwestern is a team that has a really good backcourt yep. in Bubui and Chase Odige. Boise State is a team that has a really good backcourt with Marcus Shaver and Max Rice. What do we think happens in this matchup? Uh, the, I'm going to... Your bet's as good as mine. Yeah, like, look, I can't, I'm searching for a synonym for toss-up because I feel like I've said that about every 8-9 or 7-10 matchup in here. This one's two similar teams. Uh, I really like Northwestern and their experience and the way that they compete in the backcourt. But Boise State is a very good offensive group. And Tyson Degenhart, uh, another underrated player, the way that he's come on over the last six weeks of the season really spacing the floor and being more of a stretch four and even at times a stretch five for the Broncos. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Northwestern here, but man, am I uncomfortable about really throwing my weight behind either of them. 
So I'm going to go Northwestern here because the way that you've been able to shut down Boise State this year has generally been just high ball pressure against guys like Shaver. And I would assume they're just going to throw Odige on him and just yeah. like really, really cause problems uh, to try and initiate offense for Boise State. I'm or for uh, yeah for Boise State. Yeah. I'm going to take Northwestern here. This is like a real toss up game though, for yeah. sure. Yep. Okay. The last one here. UCLA against UNC Asheville. We've got actually like kind of an intriguing matchup because Drew Pember is like a very, very good player and could theoretically cause them some issues if a Dembona is not 100%. If a Dembona can't really play in this game, I'm a little bit worried about UCLA. Now, you know, Bona, it seems like, I hope is going to be fine. This, I, I don't know. Like Bona did not play against Arizona and that's what worries me, right? Like if a Dem Bona is not going to play in this game, this becomes like a real interesting problem for UCLA to solve because Drew Pember is six foot 10. He can step out and shoot. He can cause all sorts of issues for you uh, in terms of just facing the court and even his like post game is like mid post game is pretty strong. UCLA is also going to be without Jalen Clark in this game for sure. UCLA won me over in that game against Arizona, competing against Arizona in the way that they did. Even without those two, I think UCLA still just kind of out toughs them and wins. But this is like a wild one to watch, I think. This is a real wild one. Wild. Um, UNC Asheville was going to be one of my trendy, like if the 15 beats a two this year, it's going to be them. And then they draw the Bruins, who are super banged up and could be without their two best defenders. Clark done for the year and Bona, the backbone to everything that they do in terms of pressuring on the perimeter and protecting the basket at the same time. If Bona can play, I think he manhandles Drew Pember. Pember struggles with strength and physicality. I think Bona has enough lateral quickness to be able to stay with him and and give him issues. And I think UCLA wins actually pretty handily. If there's no Adem Bona, this is a super fascinating matchup because Asheville is deep and they shoot the lights out around Pember. It's not just one skilled big guy who's making everything happen for them. Tawan Jones is one of the best shooters in the country that nobody really talks about for Asheville. And without Jalen Clark blanketing him, he might be able to get free, particularly if the Bruins have to give extra attention to Pember. This is a super fascinating one for me. And I don't know if I would pick it as a first round upset because picking a 15 over two is just bracket suicide in some regard. Yeah. But I think it makes me long term doubt how far I can send the Bruins in my own bracket just because I'd be worried about this one on the first round in the back of my head. That MGM has UNC Asheville is a 14 to one uh, underdog right now. Oh, hammer, hammer that. They have better than a 5% chance to win this game, I think. They do. I think that it's not like it's probably like a 15% chance, but they have better than a 5% chance to win this game, I think. I would take UCLA here. Mm -hmm. Again, 
I trust Jaime Jaquez. I trust Tiger Campbell. I think that they can get through this game. I think they can probably get through the next game. And they're defensively really tough. And if they get healthy with Bona by the time they play Gonzaga, that's what they need. Like they need a Dembona against Drew Timmy, like desperately, right? Yep. And that is going to be probably the most enjoyable watch of the tournament if it comes to that. Yeah. Okay. Let's do picks. Kansas against Howard. Kansas. Arkansas, Illinois. Arkansas, I guess. I'm going to take Arkansas as well. Yeah. Uh, VCU, St. Mary's. VCU. Agree. Yukon, Iona. Yukon. Agree. TCU and Arizona State or Nevada. I'm going with the 11 seed there, regardless of who it is. Okay. And you would pick Nevada if I remember correctly? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go TCU. Gonzaga or Grand Canyon? Roll Zags. Okay. Northwestern against Boise State. I picked Northwestern. Just toss up. Agree. UCLA, UNC Asheville. UCLA with that giant asterisk on bonus health. Kansas, Arkansas. I am going with Kansas over Arkansas. Agree. Uh, VCU, UConn. Upset special, Rams over Huskies. Okay, I'm going UConn. TCU, in my case, Nevada, in your case, against Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Agree. Uh, Northwestern against UCLA. I'll go with the Bruins here. I will also go UCLA there. Connecticut, in my case, VCU, in your case, against Kansas. Jayhawks. I am taking UConn, and I don't know how good about it I feel. <laughs> uh, Gonzaga against UCLA. Yeah, this is this is a tough one for me, uh, particularly knowing where health is going to come from. I am going to go with UCLA. Okay, I'm going to go Gonzaga. You have Kansas against UCLA. I'll go rock chalk with the Jayhawks. Okay, I have UConn against Gonzaga. And I am going to go Connecticut there. So your final four, I believe, is Alabama, Marquette, and then Indiana, Indiana. and Kansas, right? That's it. Okay, so Alabama, Marquette. Whew. This is a really fun matchup. Uh, great offenses, underrated defenses. I, my heart says Marquette. My head says Alabama. I'll go. With, I'll go with Bama. Okay. I also have Alabama Marquette, and I'm also taking Alabama. Yeah. Indiana and Kansas for you. Uh, I I just have to go with Kansas. Too much firepower for that one. Okay. Uh, I have UConn, and I have Houston. I believe right. Yep. yep. Uh, I am going to go Connecticut there. I love it. And I then have Alabama and Connecticut in the final, which is a game that we've seen already. And we have seen Connecticut win that game already uh, this season by 15 points. In your final, you have Kansas and Alabama. Who wins? 
I am going to go with Alabama, just the most consistent team throughout the, the season. I am also going to go Alabama. I think Alabama has been the most consistently good team uh, throughout the course of this season, uh, along with Houston. Frankly, I think Houston's a good pick here. I am also going to take Alabama to win the title. Okay. That was fun, Spence. That was two hours. It was a good time. It's a lot of bracket talk. Uh, do you have any other takes you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? You know, I, I think we'd be remiss if we just didn't go over one last time a little bit of NBA draft stuff in terms of matchups that we are looking forward to, particularly as we look at that first weekend, because those are the ones that we're at least closest to knowing will happen. The Kansas-Arkansas one we mentioned as being a huge destination for scouts to be able to get to. Really, really important game in that regard. But I want to go all the way back up to uh, the East region there and take a look at Duke and Tennessee. I think that that could be a really fascinating game in terms of what we find out about those Duke Blue Devils young guys because Mm. Tennessee is a very good defensive group. And I'm curious as to what that reveals about Lively, Filipowski, Proctor, or Whitehead. Yeah, I'm looking forward to just the Oral Roberts Duke game because I think that yeah. is something that will tell us a lot about Derek Lively and Kyle Filipowski because guarding those guys in space is going to be hard. Uh, I think I'm going to write about this at some point this week, maybe the best matchups uh, to watch in the first round here from an NBA draft perspective. So I might hold some of that for later if I get around to writing. But yeah, that's all I've got, man. We've gone for two hours and five minutes. I think we're going to call it here. Spins, tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the and one underscore on YouTube. My name, Adam Spinella, or my Substack, the boxandone.substack.com. I've got two awesome scouting reports coming out this week on Amen and Asor Thompson, full videos as well as written uh, breakdowns of their game but I am actually hitting scheduled publish and stepping away for a week here. I'm going to the beach with my wife for five days, heading down to Florida, unplugging for a little bit and going to find my phone and Twitter at 1159 AM on Thursday to <laughs> tune back in for the first round of the NCAA tournament games. But Sam, this was as always super fun and I really appreciate you having me on. It's the best. Please remember folks go to run your pool play.runyourpool.com slash game dash theory. That is the best bracket challenge. You're going to compete against me. I'm going to make spins fill out a bracket. I'm going to make Schindler fill out a bracket. You're going to try and win up to $500 in prizes. Run your pools, giving away $500. I think the winner gets, I think maybe 250 or 300, something like that. Go to play.runyourpool.com slash game dash theory, and you're going to be able to compete in that bracket pool against me, spins, everybody else, and you're going to be able to try and win money for free. Go there, support our show, support the sponsor of this episode. Go to theathletic.com slash game theory to subscribe Go to youtube.com slash game theory podcast with Sam Vicini in order to subscribe there. Go to whatever podcasting platform you use to subscribe to the podcast. I will have some content up this week. I swear. I don't know what it'll be, but I swear I will have content this week. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.